0: The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and an investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, to help us do that, I am delighted to have as my guest, Kathy Ozer. Kathy is the Executive Director of the National Family Farm Coalition based in Washington, D.C. Kathy, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: I have to say first that the mission statement for the National Family Farm Coalition says that its goal or mission is to unite and strengthen the voices and actions of its diverse grassroots members to demand viable livelihoods for family farmers, safe and healthy food for everyone, and economically and environmentally sound rural communities. I think that's something we can all get behind. But what do you mean by a family farmer?
1: Well, I've been uh, working with the National Family Farm Coalition for over 20 years. In my first month of working, people were asking me that all the time. And fortunately for the work that we do, it's not just a simple definition that says a family farmer does this. It's a definition that really talks about the need for independent family farm businesses' operations that are able to make the decisions about their farming operation not under the, even though they may be impacted by corporate control, they are themselves able to be sustaining and providing food and not just food for themselves and food for their community, but also earning a decent and viable family income.
0: Well, this last week you have had uh, a gathering in Washington, D.C., You recently held a farmer and consumer forum titled Confronting Corporate Control Over Our Food. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how corporate control has impacted the family farmer and what we as food consumers can do to help the true family farmer make a viable income and provide us with safe, wholesome food.
1: Well this past week in Washington DC, the Department of Justice and the Department of Agriculture were holding their last in a series of workshops. They called them workshops. They were really day long hearings where there were anywhere from three to four hundred to over a thousand people who came together. And at each of those sessions, the first one was back in March in Iowa, organizations like ourselves and others came together and organized an event the night before to really bring together the communities that are most impacted and to elevate the voices of those that among farmers and ranchers and workers and growers, people saying that we need the Department of Justice and the Department of Agriculture to take action to break up the big business and the corporate control that exists and really to call on our government, the Department of Justice and USDA to use the enforcement powers that they have to break up the monopoly control that currently exists at varying levels among the food system. So this forum we held in the Methodist Building, which is a building that's right across the street from the Capitol and the Supreme Court. Farmers and ranchers came from around the country, and growers who were going to be attending the forum the Department of Justice at USDA um, the next day. We were joined by some community members from D.C. and some people from New York who drove the five hours and came to join us. And really to have a dinner where we ate Missouri ham that was raised by Patchwork Family Farms and Missouri Rural Crisis Center. We had cheese from Wisconsin. We had other food from our local farmer's market and apple cider from farms in Virginia, orchards. And really to profile and celebrate the fact that there are family farmers who are trying to change the system, who want to be able to make a decent living, earn and receive a fair price for what they produce, and to really break up what has been the excessive consolidation and control in the hogs, in poultry, and livestock that we've seen happen in the last decades.
0: What kinds of challenges, let's take one of those industries, let's take hogs, for example. What has happened to small, and again, I'm, I'm using size, and I probably shouldn't, but what has happened to family farms in the hog industry?
1: Well, in the last 20 years, the amount of consolidation that's taken place, the, the loss of independent hog farms, and certainly in Missouri, the Missouri Rural Crisis Center, and in Iowa, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement and the Land Stewardship Project in Minnesota, have been at the forefront of trying to them and oppose the consolidation and the control that's being exerted by vertically integrated firms and unfair contracts. And... Part of the message that was delivered both at our forum on Tuesday night and at the Department of Agriculture yesterday was the fact that we need to have diversified family farm operations. We need to have hog farmers, dairy farmers, livestock, poultry growers themselves able to make a decent living, able to remain on their farms and be part of their rural economy. And what we have instead in many, many cases, is the expansion of unfair contracts like we've seen in the poultry industry that are destabilizing those communities and really forcing people out of their communities and off their farms.
0: If you take a drive through rural America, you can really witness the crumbling of rural communities. And I can't help but think that if we had a more vital local food or regional food system those rural communities would come back to life.
1: Well, we agree that there's been a lot of excitement and energy about reconnecting ourselves. I live in Washington, D.C. as a consumer where I'm buying my food, where I'm able to attend and go to a local farmer's market, where the local school system in D.C. for the first time is trying to link up and be purchasing from farmers in North Carolina and in Maryland and in Pennsylvania. I think what we feel really strongly is that there is a very important role for government to be enforcing existing antitrust laws. The Department of Agriculture issued a rule called the Gypsy rule, which is really a part of the Farm Bill that said there should be some new rules that really limit the excess control of, of the packers or, in the case of livestock or in poultry, And we all have been fighting a fight to make sure that that GIPSA rule gets implemented. The public deadline and the comment period was November 22nd, the week before Thanksgiving. We are all urging the Department of Agriculture to issue a good final rule as quickly as possible so that we stop the excessive um, loss that's been happening across rural America and across our rural economies. And one of the um, exciting things that's come out of these hearings across the country is starting to have other people understand just what's at stake. And many people have understood that we need a change in our trade policy. We need fair trade. We need new rules. And part of what we're saying is we need new rules domestically to make sure that farmers are getting a better chance, are able to truly be competitive and access fair markets and not be just forced out because of the excess control and power of corporate agribusiness in many of these industries. That applies to the seed industry, that applies to poultry, that applies to hogs, and and certainly to some degree in the fruit and vegetable um, arena as well. So part of this week's activities in Washington culminates over a year of the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Justice listening, and the message that came out from At least 50 different people who spoke publicly at the forum, at the official workshop, which was all on the record, was that we need real action, not just more talk. And that we are urging the Obama administration, which made this issue an important part of their campaign pledge, to take on both the implementation of the Gypsy rule and enforcement of existing antitrust laws. And in some cases, we need to have new laws to give more power to the government to be able to enforce the laws, given the nature of how things have changed since the original antitrust laws. But there's a lot of good law in the books, and there needs to be a real enforcement of that law. Otherwise, farmers and consumers continue to lose out.
0: Are you encouraged?
1: Well, this last election is not and was not particularly encouraging, but I am encouraged that more people care about their food, they care about who's raising it, where it's been raised, under what conditions. And I think while consumer demand and the increase in markets and the increase in farmers markets and people asking those questions is important, for that to really be sustained, we need to have the involvement of good government policy to help encourage that because of how much control is being has been taken away from individual people and, and communities and cooperatives, we need to restore it back, and farmers play an important role on the ground in helping to retain or restore some of that control over our food supply.
0: Do you want to get into any more detail of this GIPSA rule?
1: Well, I think um, the issue around... The acronym GIPSA, it's really the Grain Inspection and Packers and Stockyards Administration. In the last farm bill, which was in 2008, there was a, a livestock title. And within that livestock title, making sure that the government issued new rules that would be fairer, that would um, make sure that the companies that have really exerted a lot of control by not having to provide information to the producers or the ranchers or in some cases, the fairness of the contracts for contract growers, their contracts, that actually the Department of Agriculture issued a rule that is pretty good. It's a step in the right direction. We are all saying it should be um, changed a little bit before they issue a final rule. But unfortunately, in the last couple months, the National Pork Producers Council, the Cattlemen's Beef Association, the Chicken Council, the Broiler Council, they've all come out strongly, strongly opposing the rule, saying that it's going to cost consumers money and that it's going to cost jobs. And our position is just the opposite. We're saying that without this new rule, without the government putting in place what should have been in place decades and decades ago, we'll continue to see the massive losses that we've seen in hog farmers, in ranchers, and in poultry. And so... We have at stake right now, over the next few months, a chance for the Department of Agriculture to issue a final rule that is really, in our view, a stepping stone to other changes that we hope will come about in the next Farm Bill or in the Department of Justice taking action on the various issues that they've learned about while they've been across the country for the last year. So I'm somewhat hopeful that that GIPSA rule will get issued in a strong and final form quickly. At this Department of Justice hearing, Attorney General Holder was there, the Assistant Attorney General in charge of antitrust, Christine Varney was there, Secretary Vilsack. They were all saying that they need to take some action around some of the issues that they've been you know, hearing about. But, you know, we're in a situation where the Congress and particularly the House Ag Committee is going to be led by members of Congress who really are very strongly in the hands or in the pockets of corporate agribusiness. And so it's going to be very, very important for the Senate where there are voices that have been very supportive of a lot of these issues to speak up for every Senate office to hear about how important it is for there to be support for the GIPSA rule and for enforcement of other antitrust laws as part of the ways to restore a healthier rural economy.
0: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Kathy Ozer. She's the Executive Director of the National Family Farm Coalition, and we are really touching on the true barriers or challenges That family farmers face across the country in terms of getting the kinds of foods that we all really want to be eating to our tables. And it's interesting that you mentioned this whole issue of consumer food price, because I, too, have heard so many corporate voices saying, well, we don't want food prices to go up but we're not really paying the full price at the checkout. We're not paying for the environmental destruction. We're not paying for the loss of our rural communities. So whenever I hear that argument about consumer food prices, if we make any of these changes, you know, we're going to suffer at the grocery store. I just don't believe that. And I I wonder if there are ways that you have in combating that message. You know, how do we as health educators or consumer educators and as food citizens, how do we go up against that kind of corporate propaganda that that always goes back to, oh, don't want to raise food prices?
1: Well, fortunately, at the um, forum that was held yesterday at the Department of Agriculture, some of those issues were addressed head on, and they were addressed most strongly by Winona Howder, who's the Executive Director of Food and Water Watch, and also by Mary Hendrickson from the University of Missouri, and they were part of a panel that was really talking about how we need to look at these antitrust issues from a broader framework, and we need to not just be looking at, we need to be looking at who's being impacted by the failure of antitrust enforcement to date, and if we need to re-examine and broaden some of the ways that these issues get examined, not just from the very narrow um, legal framework. And so that panel, they were up against representative from the Food Marketing Institute, who repeated his slogan, his mantra of how we have the cheap and most affordable and bountiful food supply. (laughs) And And safest. What?
0: And safest. The cheapest, safest, most abundant food supply.
1: Right, so he repeated that. He was on two panels yesterday, and his message was refuted both by people on the panel and very clearly by most of the audience of which there were a lot of uh, strong farmers and consumers and food security activists and others who joined us in that auditorium. So I think the, um, the some of those messages are what we need to be confronting. We need to be exposing the myths that are being um, put forward, and this is not something new. I mean, back in March at the very first hearing, of which there were close to a 1,000 people, I think 800 people in Iowa, the front page story of the Des Moines Register, after talking about the various issues, said people in Des Moines should hope that nothing comes out of this process because it will hurt them in terms of their food prices. So clearly, there's been an effort to pit farmers against food purchasers and consumers, many of whom are also farmers, also buy food. So it's really kind of a false dichotomy there. But I think that part of what we have as a challenge now is to really talk about who's paying the real costs and what are some of those ripple costs and ripple impacts and that message came out strongly from the audience it came out strongly from some of the panel and i think our our hope now is that this won't just be you know recorded and available in video and part of the history books to be reviewed but actually will form the basis of some real action In taking on some of these issues. I think that um, for many of us, this was a major win in the last Farm Bill. This is back to the DPSA rule, making sure that it does get implemented fully and fairly. But also, this whole series of workshops was also partially because of a failure of antitrust enforcement for so long that other members of the Senate, Senator Feingold, Senator Schumer, Senator Cole had brought these issues up when they were doing the confirmation hearings for the new Department of Justice. And so they took this on quite strongly to hear and to set up a special task force between USDA and the Department of Justice. One of the issues that also came up yesterday was the role of retail and the need to really be examining the excessive c- consolidation in the retail industry and particularly Walmart, and what is that doing in terms of pushing down prices to farmers pushing down wages to workers and so those issues came up publicly they came up in the official forum they'd come up the night before in our farmer and consumer forum and I think our hope is is that through radio shows through media through conversations around these issues that more of the public will begin to understand just what's at stake in in terms of who controls our food supply.
0: It's interesting that you brought up Walmart because in following food marketing, I've read that Walmart is now wanting to work more in local communities and with local, and I'll use this term loosely, family farmers, in bringing, in, in, in changing the mix or at least changing the image that they have. Was this discussed at all?
1: It wasn't specifically Walmart's position. I think people, what was discussed was the serious concern about the illusion of choice and the fact that there are so many different products on the market and just what really happens when some markets like a Walmart or someone who has such monopsony control themselves are able to start to to be putting a lowering impact depressing the prices that are being paid all the way through the food chain from the retail level back down as opposed to what we know is a really serious problem, particularly in dairy and with other kinds of, many farmers, but particularly most recently with dairy, when there is a really dramatic, like now a 50% drop in the price dairy farmers are receiving, but there's still an excessive amount of profit all the way through the chain. And some of that has to do with the unfairness of large companies acting under the guise of cooperatives like Dairy Farmers of America, who in fact are very much both the buyers and the sellers and no longer have, by any stretch of the imagination, the interest of their farmer members at the top of their agenda.
0: Kathy, this opens up a whole can of worms. You know, you mentioned this notion of illusion of choice. It's something that I've been very concerned about for a number of years uh, the many illusions in our food system, and with regard to dairy, I mean, what a great example! And and I can tell you that you know, as a dietitian, if I go to my professional meetings, for example, it's the corporate food producers who tend to provide most of the professional education, in addition to the consumer education. So I agree with you that. Really using the media and to capture the stories that you've collected at these different work groups and in your meetings, such as the one that you had in December, perhaps putting a face on these stories to really get to the truth is the way to pull back that curtain, sort of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the Uh man behind the screen. I think the dairy farmer story in particular is extremely poignant. I mean, how many dairy farmers committed suicide? It's not that we're drinking less milk. How do you recommend that we you know, circumvent these illusions and truly get the truth to consumers so that, so that we can make a, a difference in the marketplace?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the issue with milk or with pork is very much the same, in that the quantity that's being produced has not gone down, in fact it's probably gone up, but it's it's who's producing it and what numbers of people and families are involved in the system. And for dairy there's about fifty five thousand independent dairy farmers, you know, left in the whole country. In some states like in Wisconsin and Minnesota, there's and in New York and Ohio, but you know, in particular Pennsylvania, there's you know, a significant number of still what one would call small to medium-sized dairy farmers who are under 150 cows. Those dairy farmers are struggling right now in the worst possible conditions where they've seen this very dramatic drop. Many are facing, due to bad weather, the need to purchase feed. And while we are, as the Family Farm Coalition, the first to want to have fair prices for everyone in the chain, whether it's grain or dairy or hogs. One problem becomes, right now, we've seen a spike in feed costs, most of it post-harvest, most of it being held by the large grain companies who've already purchased from many of the farmers that we all know who contracted their feed and their um, corn and their soy at much lower levels than than was actually is getting paid for right now by dairy and hog farmers. So you've got this cycle of input costs going up, transportation costs going up, but because farmers themselves aren't able to set the price for what they're receiving for their product, they're getting way underpaid, and they're still gouging and profiting once it leaves the farm. So there's, in our view, the need to change the entire farm bill. It's not a question of who's getting subsidies. It's a question of people needing to get paid a fair price for what they're producing. And for dairy farmers, it means getting paid a level that reflects their cost of production. Same for corn, same for wheat, same for hogs. And if that system was in place, and we've, on a policy level, for the last farm bill had developed the Food from Family Farms Act, if that system was in place, you would then be making sure that we would not have to be supporting payments or subsidies as a percentage of the losses that farmers are incurring. One of the other reasons that's so important is that the U.S., while we don't have the same level of control of world grain prices as we may have had in the past, many other countries are dealing with the very same dynamics of the same corporations trying to establish the prices for what's purchased in in their countries, or our exports are being dumped onto the markets and depressing the prices in other communities internationally. So we feel that it's a very important part of food sovereignty, of retaining local control, whether in the U.S. or whether in other parts of the world, to have prices that reflect the real cost of production at the base. And then from there building in fair prices for workers, fair prices in the processing system, and then we've created a situation that those external costs are not being ignored or being imposed on the cleanup. They're, in fact, being distributed more fairly throughout the system.
0: Kathy, unfortunately, I knew our time would evaporate together. There are so many issues to cover, We've been speaking with Kathy Ozer, the Executive Director of the National Family Farm Coalition, and I want to thank you so much for all of this information. I want to encourage our listeners to get involved and be aware of some of these important topics that Kathy's been addressing. The website for the National Family Farm Coalition is www.nffc.net. You can learn more about these topics, ways to get involved, ways to contact the coalition to make a difference, Kathy, thank you. Well, thank you. I want to thank our listeners for joining. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri.